I'm taking sides against the school shooter. I know that's a bold statement. just said the rudest thing to me <laughs> ever off my really just so so rude <laughs> the rudest thing the rudest hello hello everyone welcome back to lyrics for lunch the show that doesn't like mondays but doesn't bring a gun to school about it whoa that was my harsh tie <laughs> hope not sporadically um did you just spit out your tea <laughs> No, I got the straight caught in my mouth. Oh, classic. Class, classic hell dog. <laughs> uh, I'm Aviv Broomstein. I'm your host. This is a show where we do deep dives on the true meanings behind the famous songs in musical history. And I'm joined this and every week by... Me, Lindsay Tucker. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? How are you? Lindsay? Oh, great. You know. How are you on this Friday? Not it's Monday. Fr- it's Friday. It's not Monday, so I've, I'm feeling better. I'm excited to do the do weekend things. I'm going to see Elton John on on Sunday at Dodger nice. Stadium, Excellent. which is supposedly going to be his last U.S. performance ever. Though I don't believe that, but still, I think it's going to be amazing. Um, he better wear that Dodgers uniform. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, right. So uh, yeah, I'm very very excited about that. How are you doing? I'm good. I survived the Swift ticket debacle, and I scored tickets to not one, but two nights of the show. So f- so, so, <laughs> listeners will remember that I said, oh, we should re- talk about this for posterity just in case Taylor Swift brings down Ticketmaster. Turns out. You weren't wrong. I wasn't wrong. So uh, as of today, the U.S. Department of Justice has opened an investigation into Ticketmaster <laughs> because <laughs> because of their status as a monopoly. Yeah. And yeah. and uh you know the the thir- 3.5 million people tried to sign up for this Taylor Swift pre-sale and so if, if they sold out all the concerts and so there was no they canceled the sale because the pre-sale was so big and uh Swifties are about to storm the capital. It was like a great um catalyst like the mishandling of the Taylor Swift thing I feel like kind yeah. of um brought the f- the conversation about the Live Nation Ticketmaster monopoly to the front of the conversation and fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Break Damn the up. man. Damn the man, <laughs> save the empire. Um, so yes, I'm glad that you sc- were a you were one of the 3.5 million people to score tickets to not one but two Taylor Swift concerts. Don't you think that's a little greedy? Shouldn't you give up your second date to someone who didn't get tickets? You can email us at lyricsforlunch at gmail dot com if you want okay, Lindsay's extra set set of tickets. <laughs> anyway, this is way too much talk. You you don't have to put all this in. Oh, it's all in. This is a bonus. <laughs> also from the corrections department or from the omissions department from our Barbie girl episode. I, I met, I, I meant to mention 
had it in my notes and everything talked to Lindsay about it i have a barbie girl connection myself because my college band was once playing a battle of the bands which is the only time i've ever done such a thing and was forced to cover barbie girl in 2007 or 8 and so yeah there's a video online somewhere of me playing barbie girl with my like college punk band we had a trumpet player his name was jerry yeah it's tough I, I i looked up the video to see if i should include it in the show and uh the video is very not of good quality good. Like you, you oh. can't hear anything that's going on unfortunately it's like in the basement of our student union or whatever but it is pretty wild it's like you know a, a true time capsule of indie sleaze uh haircuts and outfits um that sounds fantastic i think you should put yeah. it on our social Okay, I'll, I'll I'll find it to you. I'll find it and send it to you. Great. So I apologize. Well, I apologize to our listeners for that omission. Please respect my privacy at this time, this difficult period. I'm listening. I'm learning. I hear you. <laughs> All right. The lines are open. What are we talking about today? What are we talking about today, Lindsay? Today, we are talking about the 1979 hit single from Irish band Boomtown Rats, I don't like Mondays. Trapping myself in. I'm sure that this is going right. to be totally um, a very happy, sunny episode <laughs> with no triggering content whatsoever. Definitely no trauma. Trauma was checked at the door. Fabulous. Uh, yeah. So that's not true. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was a lie. <laughs> yeah. So who are the Boomtown Rats? I actually don't know the Boomtown Rats ton but i do know um their singer was bob geldoff right yeah so their front man was bob geldoff of live aid fame yeah i i i don't i don't good, uh, no, noted very good person bob geldoff right 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 and this episode will tangentially touch on what a great christian bob geldof really is <laughs> I, I thought he was jewish with a name like geldof i guess he's irish I, I have no fucking idea t- tough to be jewish and irish i suppose but yeah we are uh we are gonna do a live aid slash band-aid episode at some point might be this year for do they know it's christmas but save to say that is a whole clusterfuck that we don't have time to get into today no but I have part of the research done, and I'll, I'll give you guys a highlight. Oh, sick. So, uh, so, yeah. So, the Boomtown Rats were this Irish band that had a string of hits throughout the UK in the mid-70s and early 80s. And they're led by Bob Geldof. And then I Don't Like Mondays was their biggest hit. It was the lead single from their third album, which was called The Fine Art of Suffering. And I Don't Like Mondays charted at number one. Can we just like take a pause and say that this album was called The Fine Art of Suffering? <laughs> now, yeah, which listeners is might I- not know what the song yeah. is about yet. So I guess we'll have to circle back to that. But it wasn't yeah. until I was just reading this out loud that I was like, hold up. Oh, what? oh I got it. I got there. <laughs> so, yep. Okay. So third album, Fine Art of Suffering. I Don't Like Mondays charted at number one for four weeks in the UK, where it was the sixth biggest hit of the year. And then in the U.S., it made it to number 73. For whatever reason, I confuse Bob Geldof and the Boomtown Rats with 
Paul Weller and the Jam, who were more of an English band as opposed to an Irish band. And they sang uh, Going Underground, with among many, many other songs. But for whatever reason, I like meld those two bands together in my head. I mean, that's not surprising because literally Boomtown Rats has no other song that should be in America. <laughs> well, there you go. And tell us what the song was inspired by. Yeah, so I learned this, I think, from the West Wing, but I Don't Like Mondays is about one of the very first school shootings where um, a, a person brought a gun to school, shot up their entire class, and then when asked why they did it, responded, I don't like Mondays. Mostly correct, except she did the shooting from her house, which was across oh, the street from the school. Oh, shit. That's yeah. fucked up. And she, it was an elementary school, and she was in high school. Oh, wow. Okay. So th- I, I have a lot. Of, so I didn't know <laughs> that it was a woman. I didn't know that it was like Ooh, a sniper you're gonna thing. Learn so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah. learn so much. But uh, it's like if, as I understood it, it was like if Garfield did a school shooting. I don't get it. Garfield famously doesn't like Mondays. See, I didn't know that about Garfield. Oh yeah, there's a whole fucking thing. There's like now a- that you're saying it, I'm like, I guess that's a cartoon, right? Like a meme. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a Garfield. There's like a shirt that you can buy. It's, it's Garfield, and this is I hate Mondays. <laughs> uh, she was wearing the shirt at the time of the shooting. <laughs> she was wearing the Garfield shirt. <laughs> that's not true either. Uh, for the record, so the song was yes inspired by a school shooting. This. Shooting took place on January 29th, 1979. The shooter was so not pretty Garfield. Soon before the, pretty, er, pretty soon before the, uh, the song, right? It wasn't like that much time between the school shooting and the song coming out. No. Just a couple of months. Yikes. So uh, the shooter was Brenda Spencer, a 16-year-old girl. She had a history of petty theft and violent sass. Like words, I don't know. Like she, she had this sass words. (laughs) She had this habit of like making empty threats. Like she didn't have a lot of friends, and she would tell her family like, "Oh, like I'm gonna bust this guy's head open." But like she would, in their minds, never fucking do that. She had no history Mm, of actually ever doing anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she acted as a sniper from her home, which was across the street from Cleveland Elementary School. So was this in Ireland or is this in Cleveland? Uh, neither. It's in San Diego. Confusing, right? A suburb outside of, of San Diego. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for asking. I'm very, very puzzled by this whole situation. <laughs> Brenda opened fire 30 rounds of ammunition from a semi-automatic 22 caliber rifle with telescopic sight that her father had given her for Christmas. And so she fired this Great. from her bedroom into the schoolyard. Also, I like love that her father gave it to her for Christmas. Do they know it's Christmas? I mean, not anymore because they they're fucking dead. <laughs> oh, jeez. So the principal, Burton Bragg, and a custodian, Mike Shar, were both killed in the attack, and eight children and a policeman were wounded. Some of the kids were in critical condition but survived. So at five feet tall and 80 pounds, Spencer became one of the first modern school shooters in U.S. history. Jesus. Yes. When asked why she did it, her response was simple. I don't like Mondays. So we're going to watch this little news clip. 
there any kids hurt? The shooting began around 8.30 a.m. A sniper was firing random shots at school children on their way to class at Cleveland Elementary. Eight children and two adults, the school principal and a custodian, were felled quickly. The principal and custodian would die. For a while, the sniper, 16-year-old Brenda Spencer, kept police at bay, firing from her house across the street from the school at anything that moved. A police trainee was shot while trying to assist a wounded child. Inside the school, 320 students huddled in the auditorium, and just before noon, they were evacuated in buses. Anxious parents were reunited with their children. Police had the situation in hand now. While SWAT units approached and surrounded the house, police, parents, and friends negotiated with Brenda Spencer on the phone. She was armed with a 22 caliber semi-automatic with a scope and may have taken drugs and alcohol. She at first refused to talk surrender, claiming she could hold out for a week. But towards 3 p.m. it became a question of surrender or SWAT people storming the house after a tear gas barrage. Shortly after 3, the word was out that Spencer would give it up. And then she did. SWAT She's so little. Right? She's tiny. Five foot. Was over. Doug McAllister, News 8, San Carlos. So, any thoughts besides how small she is? Any reaction? I mean, mass shootings have been, like, sadly super common in the United States in the decades post this especially school shootings we have talked about columbine on this show and how we, we you and i both remember it happening as well as like countless other school shootings um the thing that sticks out two things that stick out it's like pretty early for what we think of as like the modern school shooting which i think we all kind of collectively agree is columbine that's like when it started or something this is like more of what we used to say is like a clock tower shooting where like some some person like climbs clock tower and starts picking off random people um but the weirdest thing about it is the profile that we have of mass shooters is almost uniformly white men so this is uh the only woman school shooter i can think of Probably not the only one that exists, but the only one I can think of. Same. So Brenda had told her classmates a week before that she wanted to do something big to get on TV. Great. And she locked herself in the house as the SWAT team descended. The standoff lasted nearly seven hours before she finally surrendered. And during that time, a reporter from the San Diego Tribune spoke to her on the phone. And police officers did too. Mm -hmm. And the most famous quote was this is a way to cheer up a Monday. That was the quote, is this is the That's way to cheer up a Monday. That's what she actually said. This is a yeah. way to cheer up a Monday. Which is weirdly uh, more chilling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Geldof read the news later that day via telex machine at a radio station at Georgia State University. Oh, so he was in America in school. He was in America. I don't know that he was going to school. He was at this radio station, and he was in America because Steve Jobs had asked him to do something for Apple. Really? Yeah. Weird tie-in. <laughs> um, so he said that the lyrics came quickly, and the song was released six months later. Jesus. Now we're going to listen to the song.
Oh, hate this already. Right? So we're, we see like, they, it looks like Bob Geldof and the rest of the Boomtown Rats are like addressing some kind of, it's either like a church service or a funeral or something. And everyone in the audience is, are like gawky eyed children who won't blink. And whenever there's the tell me why, they're like weird close ups of these kids mouthing, tell me why. It's like they have their heads down and their like eyes are kind of rolled up. Yeah, they're doing the Kubrick stare. Um, And now they're home. I I kind of find this a little more moving than I was expecting. I've heard this song my whole life, and. They're we- I think they're really taking it more seriously than I thought they would. Yeah. It's kind of like the band's interrogating him, tell me why. And they have the kids kind of interrogating, tell me why. And then Geldof is the one saying, I don't like Mondays. Yeah. And also the, the like... Uh, it's like not a mystery what this is about. They're not hiding that this is like that this this girl's brain got overloaded and shot up somebody shot up a class of kids. Yeah, and so people famously thought this song was about having a hangover, and it's like you obviously didn't listen oh, to I don't like anything. Mondays. I get it. That's all. That's like the only lyric you listen to. Because everything else is like, the lesson is how to die. Like, everything yeah. is about getting shot. Yeah, this is kind of harrowing, and I, I don't love it. I mean, like, it's it's very effective, but it's making me uncomfortable. The whole day down. This this reminds me of kind of an interesting. We can do like a mini lyrics for lunch inside of a lyrics for lunch right now. So when we were growing we? up, we can just a brief one because I don't <laughs> no, I can. don't think that this deserves like a whole episode. When we were growing up, the school shooting song that everyone assumed was about a school shooting was Jeremy, right? The Pearl Jam song. Mm, mm-hmm. And I would never do yeah. I would never do a lyrics for lunch about this because Pearl Jam's horrible, but. I, I, I do not like. They're kind of good at times. 
Sorry, Sonia. Um, <laughs> s- friend of the show, Sonia Missio, has been trying to convince me that Pearl Jam doesn't suck for years now, and it's not working. Um, but uh, Jeremy, the Pearl Jam song is, you know, for people our age, like, oh, man, Jeremy, like, goes and shoots up his class. But that's actually not what the plot of that song is. He, like, kills himself in front of his class. And the music video very obviously portrays that, but people still misinterpreted that as well. So it's interesting that, like, you know, fifteen years before Jeremy, there was like a plain as day school shooting song that no one really could like. People just were like, "Oh, what is this song about?" Yeah, yeah. No one. There's no way to know. So I will send you the lyrics. Do you want to do a quick reading? Yeah. I, f- I also really, one of the like um, literary devices that happens in songs that I really like is when people refer to the way that people's brains work as like computers. It's just like, it's like a thing that I always find fun in songs. Don't forget. He was in America doing something for Apple. Oh, I didn't forget. (laughs) Uh, Verse one, the silicon chip inside her head gets switched to overload and no one's going to go to school today. She's going to make them stay at home. And daddy doesn't understand it. He always said she was good as gold. And he sees no reasons because there are no reasons. What reasons do you need to be shown? Tell me why. I don't like Mondays. Tell me why. I don't like Mondays. Tell me why. I don't like Mondays. I want to shoot the whole day down. The Telex machine is kept so clean and it types to a waiting world. And mother feels so shocked. Father's world is rocked. And their thoughts turn to their own little girl. Sweet 16 ain't that peachy keen. Now that ain't so neat to admit defeat. They can see no reasons because there are no reasons. What reasons do you need? Tell me why. I don't like Mondays. Tell me why. I don't like Mondays. Tell me why. I don't like Mondays. I want to shoot the whole day down. And all the playing's stopped in the playground now. She wants to play with the toys a while. And, the, and school's out early and soon we'll be learning. The lesson today is how to die. And then the bullhorn crackles and the captain tackles with the problems of hows and whys. And he can see no reason because there are no reasons. What reasons do you need to die? Shit. Yep. This is good. This is a good ass song. This is a very (laughs) well written song. You like it, huh? I do. I do. I never, you know, I never explored the lyrics too much. I like knew that it was about a school shooting and kind of disconnected from there but it's like very well you know like the as we teach in writing right like the five senses are there Mm -hmm. and the like there's like little details that we now know to be true like the telex machine is kept so clean like that's how Mm -hmm. he found out about this Mm -hmm. and you know sweet 16 ain't peachy keen because it's like that's how exactly how old she was the mm-hmm. bullhorn crackles and the captain tackles. He also does uh, clearly does inside rhymes a lot. <laughs> so Geldof said, I was doing a radio interview in Atlanta with Johnny Fingers and there was a telex machine beside me. I read it as it came out. 
Not liking Mondays as a reason for doing somebody in is a bit strange. I was thinking about it on the way back to the hotel, and I just said silicon chip inside her head had switched to overload. I wrote that down. And the journalist interviewing her said, tell me why. It was such a senseless act. It was the perfect senseless act. And this was the perfect senseless reason for doing it. So perhaps I wrote the perfect senseless song to illustrate it. It wasn't an attempt to exploit tragedy. I don't think so either. And I think that I have my, my opinion has been changed just like right now. Because it's like, you know, we talked a little bit about this with the Killers and their song about that dead girl in that Irish town. Yes, that they didn't release. They stopped playing it. They stopped playing it, right, due to backlash. And so this one, it feel, it, weirdly, it feels like this is treated kind of with some respect at least lyrically and i really like that the tell me why is this like group it's like the media and the world is asking this girl over and over again for a reason and there are no reasons to do this so why do you need why are you asking for someone to rationalize something that's like purely irrational like shooting up a school full of kids Mm -hmm. um that said from what I know about Bob Geldof, I'm sure that he capital he made like a ton of money on this, and that is where the exploitation comes from. His literal identity is exploiting tragedy, but okay. Sure. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I like the song too. I also think it's well done. I liked it before I knew what it was about, like when I was a kid and not listening to the lyrics. And um I I think the video is extremely creepy and does a good job. I just sent you a link I for um, Geldof and the video director, Dave Mallet talking about the vid- making of the video. So we can take a quick yeah. watch at that. Oh, no. I just put it all together. When Mondays came along, it was about um, this event that I saw in America, this girl shooting uh, her schoolmates and her teacher. So it was the first school shootings that have now become unfortunately a bit more familiar. And I wrote this song, but most people thought it was about not wanting to go to work on Monday, having a hangover, still do. So I wanted to move it away from what it was really about, but I wanted to allude to it. Tell me why I don't like Mondays. I wanted school children in it. And I remembered a scene from Village of the Damned where these school kids, they have these eyes that just look at the teacher. We lucked out in a big way on that day because one of those random school children that were brought in was really spooky. Yeah, the little beautiful boy with yeah, the blonde but hair. He was, he was evil as well. <laughs> he was he probably evil. is the nicest man in the world now. I also like things to be rooted in a normality. So there's a Coronation Street thing in there, isn't there? Yeah. And then I wanted it yeah. to be us being video-ish and modern. I just sketched down the only ideas I had and he had to pull it together. He used to draw them and then put them under my nose. I didn't need glasses in those days. Children you. of the Damned, you know, yeah. which he hadn't seen, of what course. What, you lying scumbag? <laughs> it's one of my favourite films. I had a VHS of it. Yeah. It was called so, Village of the Damned, anyway. Can't even get the title right, and he says I'd never seen it. He is a lying scumbag. He looks like Jerry Seinfeld with those glasses on. Yeah. It's a very dark subject, but only six weeks in did the Daily Mirror uh, spot it. And they found the father of the girl 
who railed against it and was going to sue and all this. But the fact is, I never mentioned her name or anything else, and she's still in jail. She wrote to me saying she was glad she'd done it because I'd made her famous, which is not a good thing to live with. Yeah. She wanted to be on TV. Yep. Yeah, weirdly, I like put that together right at the top and was, and, and, you know, this is the thing with all mass shooters now. They all want to be famous. And, and I don't, I don't personally understand. They used to be cool, but now they just want to be famous, man. They sold out. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, but so this is, this is the thing, right? Is like, I don't understand that drive to do something violent in order to be famous and so this the move to be like don't say their name because that's what they want because they want infamy like i understand it from like a like a cause and effect standpoint but like like why would anyone think that why would anyone be like that right why would you want to be famous for that why would you want to be famous for killing people because you're a psychopath because you're a psychopath. And yeah, so it seems like Brenda uh, was a little bit like that. And Bob Geldof unknowingly gave her exactly what she wanted. So eight months after the attack, Spencer, Brenda, Brenda, uh, pled Spencer guilty. Spencer, Brenda. <laughs> Brenda, Spencer, pled guilty to two counts of murder and assault with a deadly weapon. And she was sentenced to 25 years to life. Yeah. Okay. But who was she? Oh, man. Who was she? Great question, Aviv. I'm glad you asked. I'm, I'm very worried about what the answer is going to be. Well, Brenda Spencer was the youngest of three children born to Wally and Dot Spencer in April 1963. Okay. Uh, this is a quote from the book A Nut with a Gun by Dara Morrison which is hilariously cartoonish and appears to be self-published. So I fact-checked everything that I took from that book and, some, and left the unfactual parts out. But this was just a little colorful okay. quote that this book gave so what, me. So wait, I have a, so, okay, a nut with a gun. Is it like a biography of Brenda? Oh, no. It's a compilation of true crime, like, little stories. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, sure. Okay, so. Quote, not with a gun. Despite being raised in a sunny San Diego locale, her family resembled something you'd expect in a home of inbred hillbillies. Her her sawtooth father worshipped guns, allegedly committed incest, and later married a minor. He did marry a minor. Mm. Uh, Mm. So Dot Spencer, Brenda's mom, said, Wally was fooling around with other women, and he came home one night and asked me if he could leave for a year and if I'd let him come back. He'd already rented an apartment somewhere. I just laughed, and a few days later, I filed for a divorce. And this is before the shooting? Yes. So the divorce was especially hard on Wally and Dot's three children. Uh, this sure. is a quote from Brenda, but from I just want to preface this by saying many years after the attack, and I'm telling you that because the stories she tells sort of change over time. So I'm not saying I'm discrediting anything. I'm just putting this quote in time. So, okay. years later, at least 20 years later, Brenda said, after my parents got divorced, it was like the latchkey kids, complete neglect. This is true. Dot eventually lost custody of all three children. Wally claimed he fought for them because he loved them and wanted to raise them. And Dot claimed he did it because he was, quote, too mean to pay child support. Oh, so he just wants to, like, have them in his house so he wouldn't (laughs) 
have to pay child support. Correct. But he had money for guns. <laughs> Allegedly. So Brenda's recollection is that even when she did get rare visits with her mother, she didn't seem to care to see her children. But Dot, her mother, says this simply is not true. Now, Wally Spencer, Brenda's dad, was a Navy veteran and a gun nut. He was a nut with a gun. Well, he was nuts about guns. He worked as an AV tech at San Diego State University, and he trained Brenda to be an excellent shot. Yeah, she killed eight people. No, she killed two people and wounded eight children. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but I mean, they're traumatized. There's like interviews. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they, it's like fucking the, great for them. The media was interviewing this little girl on the street that day that got shot, and they're and she's like, "It just hurt, and my hand blew back, and I was screaming, am I gonna die?'" And it's like, whoa! Like, did they really have to like descend on this little like six year old who yeah, just got of shot? Of they did. <laughs> right? It's, it's, if it bleeds, it leads. You got a little girl bleeding. So I mean, I don't expect any of those people are like actually okay, but they're not dead. That's good. They're not um, dead. So Brenda also accused her father of abusing her physically and sexually and forcing her to share a bed with him, which was a mattress on the floor. Great. Quote Brenda. I remember being hit in the face a lot, being hit in the ribs, being yelled at, called names. And I remember him coming home from work and being mad and smacking me in the head. And on different nights, he would just almost rape me. It was like that. Like he did. Like he would touch me inappropriately. I don't even know how to say it. And you're and you're saying that Brenda's story changes over time. It does, and I'm we'll we'll look at that closely. I have like a PhD guy that was looking at her personality profile and her stories and the inconsistencies over does time. This, does this part change? This part never came out until like twenty years later. She was in counseling Jeez. in okay. in when she was incarcerated. She was in therapy and never mentioned any kind of abuse or neglect and then these stories started coming out when she was going in her to her parole hearings i'm i'm not in the business of not believing people when they say that they've been abused physically or sexually but i am i am i'm skeptical of the things that brenda says being the most honest right and according to nut with a gun her mother dot claims she suspected abuse quote I had suspicions of sexual molestations, but she would never really tell me. The way she would be acting was very evasive if I asked her anything. It just wasn't her. I knew something was wrong. Now, I don't know if these are trustworthy sources. Quotes, even? Yeah. I'm, I'm saying I believe that Dot said this. Okay. I, be I believe the um, primary sources, like I believe the interviewing that this writer did. What, where right, but, but dot could dot could be looking back on things 25 years on and remembering differently or choosing and the guy married focus. a 17 year old so he certainly did <laughs> that is factual <laughs> uh all i'm saying is that like none of these players like seem super trustworthy and they'll all tell different stories at different times in this story so i'm just laying them out there right. and i'm not taking sides so by the time Brenda I'm got taking sides against the school shooter. Oh yeah. I know that's a bold statement. 
Uh, by the time Brenda got to Patrick Henry High School, she had allegedly turned to drugs and violent television and movies as escapism. But I also want to be careful violent of how much... T- violent TV, baby. <laughs> right, 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 right. It was right. all because she watched Gunsmoke. Exactly. You get it. Um, but she did tell classmates that she and her dad had enough ammo in the house for an army. Cool. Brenda's teachers remembered that she was extremely quiet didn't have a history of bullying or outwardly angry behavior, except that she really wanted to kill a cop and frequently talked about blowing people's heads off and reportedly told a classmate that she had set a cat's tail on fire. Okay, so let's take a huge step back. (laughs) She had no, she showed no signs of violent behavior except talking about how she had enough ammo to kill an army Talking about how much he really wanted to kill a cop. Was it any cop? Just a cop in particular? Just, just like, a I cop. Want, I want a fucking any cop. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was like the one cop that like messed with her or nope. something. No, no, no. Just, just wanted, just to, wanted okay, to like cool. do a cop. And, and I know that this is very early for like serial killer profiling, but like one of the big ones is torturing animals. Correct. And... There was no evidence that she had ever actually done that to a cat, but this is something that she was telling people. And her classmates, when they were interviewed, were very vocal about the fact that she had a mouth on her and was constantly saying violent threats. This, this, this feels sadly very similar to many of the school shooters and mass shooters that we see today where it's like who could have seen this coming? And it's like neighbors said he was he said he was going to shoot up a school. Yeah, I know. And and the cops are quoted, what do you want us to do? Investigate everyone who threatens to shoot up a school? Yes, we do. Yeah. And we want you to take away Stop guns. pulling people over. Yeah. <laughs> um, during a Pearl hearing in 2001, Spencer was asked, did you ever talk to your friends about committing crimes? And she said no. And Great. yet, according to Peter Langman, PhD, a psychologist and expert on school shooters, who has written about Spencer numerous times, There's oodles of evidence to the contrary. Here are just a few comments he's reported from her classmates. She wanted to blow a police officer's head off. She told a fellow student that she would blow his brains out with a gun. She stated on occasion that she would be famous. She would joke about being a sniper. This was in ninth grade. We would laugh about blasting people away. She hated all authority, particularly the police. She told another friend that she would make a good sniper and that if she had to hole up in her house for a long period of time, she had enough ammunition to do so. So why then would Brenda not, I mean, if she wants, if she like likes the whatever, the, the, the fame that this brings, why would she in 2001 be like, I never said that. Um, Because make a ton of sense. I'm not a psychiatrist. If I had to guess, my theory would be, She's had years and years and years to figure out what was wrong with what she did and said, and she wanted to get out on parole, so. Oh, sure. They're parole hearings. (laughs) Parole didn't, that's a good, you know what? Good point. (laughs) She wasn't like, hello, News (laughs) News 7. Hello, this is, yeah. I have a PSA. how, How much I love killing cops. Um, Her prior run-ins with the police were existing, but they were not for violence. They were for shoplifting and burglary, breaking and entering. Mm. Both of which she was arrested with her best friend, Brent Fleming. 
Now, the burglary and the breaking and entering was the school that she shot up. So she Why? Allegedly, she shot out the windows of the school, just practicing, and then her and Fleming went inside and poured paint all over the classroom and flipped over all the desks. And then they got arrested. So just like, I mean, like, not great, but like, just kind of hoodlum shit. Like, not, you know. Yeah. She wasn't, she wasn't doing, like, burglary. No. Okay. So here's what Fleming told author Eric Hard for his book, Does Anyone Like Monday's The Brenda Spencer Murder Case? Does anyone like... I could pick, picture someone kicking down the door and be like, does anybody like Mondays? <laughs> and Langman, PhD, said that this book was like the best info, the authority on the Brenda Spencer case that, as far as he knows. Okay. So this isn't an adult with a gun we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Quote, Brenda's best friend, Brett Fleming. Brenda and I were always kind of planning things, but we never really carried them out. Brenda used to say that there were three dominations in the world. The first domination was people who planned things. The second domination was the people who did minor things, like misdemeanors. Does, is it dominate, denomination? Like group of people? I'm saying it this way because that's what he's... This is the word that he's using. Yeah, but I, I understand. I didn't think that you were reading it wrong. I was just like, what does that mean? It must I know. mean denominations, right? I assume so. Okay. So what's the <laughs> second domination of people? The second domination was the people who did minor things like misdemeanors. Then there was the third type of domination, like major things such as sniping or burning or blowing things up. Brenda said that we were like the third type. Lots of times we would plan things like going to kill a cop or blow up a school or mug somebody for their money. Her favorite thing was to kill a cop. She had two plans to kill a cop. The first was that I would take her 22 pellet gun and she would take her dad's Luger BB gun. We would go to the park where the cops did their reports. The plan was that I was to go to the passenger side window as she walked over the driver's side window if it was up. She would ask the driver to roll the window down. She'd use the pretense of maybe asking what time it was. When he did roll the window down, she was going to tell him that if he moved, that I was going to blow his head off. She would say things like, I had a hair trigger. I was going to stand there pointing the gun at the officer. The second plan to kill a cop was to egg his car or break his window. We planned on running, then have him chase us into the boy's bathroom. We knew that the cop would probably chase us into the bathroom, and when he got in there, she would hit him in the face with an axe. An axe. Yeah. These are their plans that, that they're just like making after school. Like, <laughs> I, just, I just love that it's like roll the dice. Hit him with an axe. Also, <laughs> this is pre The Shining. Like <laughs> axe murders are not like part of pop the culture time it at doesn't. this point. Yeah. So two days before the attack, Fleming said he spent the day with Brenda. He said, I went over there Saturday and I visited with her. She said that she was going to do something real big on Monday. She said, just wait until Monday and see what I'm going to do. I might even be big enough to make the news. And he did. And he sat and did nothing. <laughs> right. This reminds me, though, like when I was a kid, there was this girl that lived next door to my best friends. And she was their house was like not okay. Like their, I think the kids eventually got removed from the parents' custody for oh shit, uh, neglect among other things. But the older, the younger sister was in my grade, and the older sister 
would like always be like we're let's plan like this i don't like this guy he's a bully so we're gonna plan to like feed him motor oil okay and me being like a complete goody two-shoes i like ran in and told my friend's mom and i was like Rita said she's gonna kill someone and feed him motor oil and she was like I fucking told not fucking but she was like I told you guys not to hang out with them like we were always getting told not to go play with them but we always did but when you're a kid like sure I was being a super goody two shoes and telling but looking back if someone was like do you think Rita was really gonna actual murder yeah but like I don't know I I don't think anyone else there actually took it seriously and i don't think if i I heard it today i would take it seriously right i i get that i also so like i also heard shit like this growing up and i didn't say anything and luckily like there was nothing violent that ever happened at my school but like you know we were like we went to high school and junior high in like the late 90s there's like goth kids listening to marilyn manson always talking about like i wish i could do a columbine here or whatever and Mm -hmm. like yeah we usually just laughed it off and i'm also not saying that listening to marilyn manson makes you violent but there was this fetish fetishization of these people who you know were anti-establishment to the point of you know talking about blowing up the school and we also were fed a lot of misinformation about the columbine kids and like how the reason that they did it was because of marilyn manson which is clearly not true Mm -hmm. um they were not bullied they were the bullies etc etc right and there's no evidence that Brenda was bullied, but just that she didn't have a lot of friends. And she did seem like kind of a bully based on the things she was saying to her peers. Like during her attack, she told a reporter, I've gotten into some fights, but they usually don't last long. I usually open their skulls with a cleaver. So she's really not only <laughs> does she like blowing people's head off. She likes doing kind of axy stuff. Loves cleavery, <laughs> axy. Yeah. I blades. Mean, she- she has, uh, yeah, some bludgeoning fantasies for sure. And yeah, then, that's very weird. I wonder where that stuff comes from, you know? Her dad was clearly a very normal one, but like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I think know, probably maybe. mental illness. So that same yeah, reporter... Yeah, well, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. The same reporter asked her why she was shooting people, and that's when she responded about cheering up a Monday. And then she said, oh, by the way, I nailed me a good pig. And then when they asked her if she knew that she had shot three or four people, she said, gee, is that all? I thought there were a lot more. I saw lots of feathers flying. And when she ended the conversation with the reporter, she said, sorry, I have to go. I want to shoot some more. I want to get me another pig. Yeah, this feels like kind of Son of Sammy, which is around the same time, right? The the Son of Sam killer was was uh, the late 70s, 1977. Um and 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 talked kind of in a similar way, right? Same with like Zodiac getting all these little piggies. Mm-hmm. I think it's the lead. The lead. You know my fucking. You know my fucking <laughs> theory about the lead that we had like lead in the air from these cars, and it just made people violent because everyone had heavy metal poisoning in their brain. I mean, not no. Not no. Violent crime has dropped precipitously since we took lead out of gasoline. But chemtrails, those chemtrails, though. But chemtrails. Yeah, that, they make people docile. Uh, all right. So we're going to watch this clip. This is from Brenda's first Pearl hearing, 1993, when she came up for Pearl. This is when she starts. So this is 
15, 14 years after the shooting. Yeah. So forgive me. Every time I say 20 years, it's really 14. It was when she actually yeah, and started. She, and she's 30 years old at this point. But like, w- once again, I'm not judging the, the mass murderer on hotness, but she's 30 years old and she looks about 60. Well, the mullet doesn't help. The mullet does not help. <laughs> we met in a visiting area at the Frontera Women's Prison in Corona. A small woman, Brenda Spencer strikes you as quiet, reserved, polite, and intelligent. She told me that on that Monday morning in 1979, she was hallucinating after a week of drinking whiskey and taking the powerful drug PCP, a drug she says she bought at school. What does she remember about that morning? Do you remember the gun? Mm-hmm. I remember the, the rifle because I had gotten that a month previous. As a Christmas present? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was for Christmas. From your father? Mm-hmm. Do you remember loading the gun? Do you remember pointing the gun? Mm-hmm. I remember looking out and, and seeing like commando types sneaking up on the house and stuff. And I don't remember actually going Oh, so she was hallucinating like, like and loading it up. Red Dawn shit. Seeing them and being real scared and terrified. That's what she's saying. You know, they're coming to get me, or, and I have to protect I myself. I don't know if stuff. I believe her. And I know somewhere in there, I did go and get the, the rifle. So the whole thing to you, 14 years later, is just this drugged out haze, basically. Yeah, yeah it's really, it's really broken up and fragmented. It's, I, I can't sit there and, and tell you, well, at this time I did this and at this time. You know, it's just little bits and pieces that have come back over the years. Um, like the week prior. Oh, recovered memories one, of being on PCP. I, I don't really have many memories from that week ahead of the incident. And the week after, I was asleep. I was coming down off the the street drugs and two weeks even that week I don't really but but this doesn't really explain the like quotes that she gave she's like I killed a pig I'm gonna kill another pig Brenda Spencer told me what she did that day was not first-degree murder which takes planning but the lesser crime of manslaughter I don't sit here and plan on how to go out and kill people and stuff like that that's that's um just not that's not how I am or who I am and uh, how it was presented and uh, it made me look like that there were allegations that mm-hmm. Brenda Spencer got the rifle loaded it mm-hmm. planned all of this and shot those people yeah and they made it look like you know just for the fun of it and stuff which is totally senseless there's uh, every day I live with you know the knowledge that I, I took the lives of two men and that's real difficult. Oh, super difficult for you. Okay, so there we heard her claiming that it wasn't planned out. False. <laughs> During the attack, she said, I just thought of it this morning when she was in negotiations. Sure. But remember, but she told meditated. She told Brent Fleming two days before that that she was gonna commit a sniper attack, basically. But also premeditated doesn't mean like you need to give it 12 hours. It means like I thought about doing it and then I did it as opposed to I, you know, I was reacting in the right. heat of the moment. And yes, and I misread my notes there. She told Brett Fleming she was going to do something big on Monday and she'd been telling her classmates 
for a long period of time that she was going to do a sniper attack. So great. Anyway, uh, Peter Langman, who you will recall is the PhD, who is an expert on school shooters. He wrote a paper called Brenda Spencer, Sorting Out the Contradictions. This is from that paper. The claim that she was so intoxicated that she was hallucinating is completely at odds with her behavior during the attack. She spoke with both a reporter and law enforcement negotiator while she was holed up in her house. Oh, yeah, they talked to her. Mm -hmm. She told the negotiator, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm going to stay here a while. I want to have some more fun. It was fun seeing kids being shot in a group. It looked like a herd of cows standing around the one that was shot. It was really easy pickings. It was fun to watch the kids that had red or blue ski jackets. They made the best targets. It was like shooting ducks in a pond. It was so easy. Fuck. I, I enjoyed watching them squirm around after they had been shot. Mm-hmm. And then Eric Hart reported in his book, the Does Anyone Like Monday's book, that during the negotiation, she was bantering with a police officer. Uh, quote, Brenda, let me give you some advice. Don't chew bubblegum and drink whiskey at the same time. It ruins the bubblegum and you have to throw it away. Also, M&Ms and beer are a bad combination. It'll make you sick. Then she started maniacally laughing. I mean, was she on PCP? Yeah, well, it sounds like she definitely was drinking, but like not drinking to the point where like she couldn't remember shit. Also, how do you operate a fucking gun if you're like blacked out on whiskey? And she didn't mention any mention in seven hours of commandos coming at her. No. (laughs) Um, Also, drug screens conducted after her surrender were negative for all forms of substances. Oh, so she's just like clearly making... <laughs> I was going to ask if they tested her for drugs, but... So in 93, she's just she's just being like, maybe this will work. Who knows? I'm, I'm fucking in prison for the rest of my life anyway. Well, actually, her argument is that these results prove that she was severely under the influence, but that she was a victim of a conspiracy of silence. Quote Brenda... Mm. The prosecutor and my own defense attorney covered up this fact and withheld this evidence from the court and withheld it from all the doctors and psychiatrists who did reports and evaluations on me. Why? 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 Why do this? Why would the defense attorney cover that up? Her attorney. (laughs) I also love, this is like a very kind of Trumpian, Trump's, Trump's America sort of thing of like, oh yeah, so like the proof that i the the fact that i lost the election is proof of election fraud because i clearly couldn't have lost the election yeah that makes sense carrie lake looking <laughs> at you over the years spencer has testified at many a parole hearings and consistently contradicts herself for example in 2001 she repeated the claim that she had used so many drugs that she had no memory of events for five days from January 26th through January 31, and her attack was on the 29th of January. And then we heard her say basically like two whole weeks, she didn't remember anything. In the same hearing, she said, I stuck the rifle out the window and started shooting. But she didn't remember that. Or did she? Or did she? So also like that's like not the not the weirdest thing to just kind of like piece together like, oh, the rifle in the window. But yeah, that she was recalling events or, or seeming, yeah, seeming clearly, to recall events. She's, I don't know why we're giving this like, like <laughs> the, the, the benefit of the doubt. She's clearly lying. <laughs> so this is why Langman is also calling into question her claims of abuse and neglect. So here's his quote. Spencer said nothing about abuse and neglect during her first two parole hearings. Beginning in 2001, 22 years after her attack. 
However, she began claiming she had been horribly abused. She first made allegations of sexual abuse against her father in 2001. In 2009, she claimed that both parents neglected her and that her father, brother, and sister were all abusive. She also added that she was bullied by her peers. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Her father, brother, and sister were all abusive toward her. Yes. So she was just like the fucking raggedy Anne of her family and everyone just got a punch in. Yeah. And and her peers. Great. Love that. Love love the absolute like in the of all of the things that never happened, this never happened the hardest. So back to Langman, quote Langman, allegations of abuse need to be taken seriously. I never want to minimize anyone's victimization. As with all the other issues addressed so far, however, Spencer's reporting is contradictory. These contradictions will be noted. In addition, her comments about her family will be compared to what others have said. So what Langman is trying to understand in his analysis is if anything she has said during the parole hearings in the years after the attack is in fact true. So well, like, was she a tortured child turned killer or just simply mm-hmm. a born psychopath? Uh, I have a feeling that, that he, the, what's his name, Wally wasn't, father of the year but i don't think that her fucking story is has a shred of truth to it who's to say who is to say there are reports that brenda suffered a brain injury from a bike accident Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which led to an injury of the front temporal lobe of her brain in 2005 she claimed that her father kicked her in the head so hard that she had a head injury and that he covered this up by claiming that she hurt herself in a bike bike accident sure Okay. I mean, can they can they brain scan her for this? Yeah, I don't know. There's <laughs> Sure. There was never any definitive like, yep, her frontal lobe's fucked. Yeah, so uh I've been burned before, Brenda. <laughs> uh in 2009, her lawyer presented the incident as part of a pattern of ongoing abuse that caused significant trauma, quote her lawyer. When Miss Spencer was 14 years old, when her father kicked her in the head and brutally beat her, she staggered to her mother's house with a serious head injury. But her mother didn't take her to the hospital because she was afraid that she may not have the legal right to seek medical attention for her daughter. Question mark. What? So this extreme abuse and neglect that characterized Miss Spencer's childhood caused her to develop severe depression, suicidal tendencies, and chronic complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. So back in Just 19- Just blame the lead, guys. It's fine. It was the lead. We're, we're fans of the lead theory. Um, back in 1979, before she had made any allegations of abuse, Eric Hart interviewed her family. In his conversations with her mother, brother, and sister, they all brought up the bike accident. Her brother, Scott, said Brenda was in a bike accident two or three years ago. She hit a pole head on. She blacked out and was woozy the next day. Her sister, Teresa, said two years ago, she had a bike accident in which she struck her head. Her mother, Dorothy, said a couple of years ago, she hit a pole while riding her bike. She was in a complete daze. Mm. So I find it actually kind of weird that they all brought it up because she hadn't talked about abuse yet. This is years before she ever brought up abuse. And he's interviewing the family like about like, so your family member is a murderer. And they're all like, there was this bike accident. Like, that's a little weird. It is a little weird. And and it's either like, either the bike accident existed and it's like, and Brenda was never the same. <laughs> or like, it feels a little like Manchurian candidate E. It's like, this is the thing that we've all decided to say to explain away how fucking weird Brenda is. But yeah. like, then what's the truth? I don't think we'll ever know. I don't know. Yeah. 
Okay, so it was in 2009. She said, my brother would also smack me around and grab me by the throat and toss me around. And my father, brother, and sister all verbally abused me. In that same parole hearing, she said she was bullied at school. She said, I was neglected by my mother and father, complained that her parents didn't take care of her, that she had to cook for herself and fend for herself from an early age. What Langman calls into question is why she didn't mention any of this until her fifth parole hearing. Brent Fleming's mother said, I can't remember any discipline or her being put on restriction. When there were problems, Mr. Spencer would break down and cry and ask the girl, why do you do these things? I don't like Mondays. Uh, Can I ask a question? (laughs) Yeah. So as someone who doesn't have a sibling, Mm. I understand that violence between siblings is like very common, right? You beat each other up. What is the difference between so she's she's talking about like a time that her brother like choked her and slammed her to the floor right yeah what is the difference between siblings fighting and like abuse at the hand of your siblings i mean i would say if like you and your sibling both like ran tackled each other and started rolling around on the ground that would be fine but if one person starts violence like, that's terrifying. There's only one time that I, like, truly remember that my sister, like, kind of attacked me in the in a bathroom in our house. And it was fucking terrifying. But if if I was interviewed about my sister, I wouldn't be like, this one time. She was abusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, so I don't know where you draw the line. <laughs> and so I, so, like, you know, do I believe that her brother, like, chokeslammed her to the ground once? Probably. Yeah. Does that mean her entire, and like, do I believe that like, once again, ver- verbally abused by your siblings could be like, shut the fuck up, penis breath, like in uh, E.T., or it could be like, go kill yourself, Brenda. But like, w- you know, what, this feels like, oh, we're squinting really, really hard to like, try to humanize this person who like, tried to murder a bunch of school kids. Right, because just because you're verbally or physically abused, I mean, I come from a very abusive childhood, like verbally and at times physically, and that doesn't mean that anyone gets a pass to be a fucking murderer. Correct. I think most people have had childhood trauma and some suffered some form of abuse. Nobody really just gets out of it. Yeah. Life is pretty messy, and 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 I'm not saying that I don't have sympathy for everyone who is abused, and even Brenda, right? Like, if Brenda was abused, like that shouldn't happen to anybody. Does that give her fucking weirdo license to murder people? Clearly not. The fact that they're that she's trying to be like, well, I deserve parole because of the mental anguish that I was put through is like really craven to me. Yeah, it's. It's the rationale of a psychopath. Yes. It feels very calculated, but like not effective. Correct. So Langman's conclusion is, um, this is his quote, the constant dishonesty on the part of psychopathic shooters appears to be the result of several traits. First, their lack of empathy and lack of conscience apparently result in their simply not seeing the significance of having harmed or killed human beings. It doesn't register with them. They seem constitutionally incapable of accepting responsibility for their actions. Sure. Dr. Robert Hare, an expert in psychopaths, commented on their remarkable ability to rationalize their behavior and to shrug off personal responsibility. When this is combined with the flagrant disregard for the truth, it becomes natural for them to say anything they think will be to their benefit. Hare noted this among the inmates he worked with. Quote, Hare. 
the psychopaths among them were expert at distorting and molding the truth to suit their purposes. He cited a psychopath who asked if, who was asked if he ever told lies. The man responded, are you kidding? I lie like I breathe, one as much as the other. Hare explained this tendency. With their powers of imagination in gear and focused on themselves, psychopaths appear amazingly unfazed by the possibility or even by the certainty of being found out. When caught in a lie or challenged with the truth, they are seldom perplexed or embarrassed. They simply change their stories or attempt to rework the facts so that they appear to be consistent with the lie. This tendency is particularly challenging to deal with when psychopaths claim to be victims, which is very common. They view themselves as poorly treated and thus victims. They constantly cry victim when things do not go as they want. This is exactly what happened with Brenda Spencer. The longer she was denied parole, the more she claimed she was a victim. A sensitive person is likely to want to believe a story of victimization rather than risk being callous to someone who is reporting a history of incest or other kinds of abuse. Psychopaths are remarkably good at knowing how to appeal to other people's sense of empathy in order to manipulate them. To quote Hare a final time, a good psychopath can play a concerto on anyone's heartstrings. That is the danger in talking with a psychopath, that and sorting out truth from fiction. I, I hate that this is what this is reminding me of, but like, this is Trump, man. He's such like, a psychopath. He is, he like, like the, all of the traits of psychopathy that, that we are listing here, that you're listing here are like, oh yeah, no, I've heard him do that on TV. All the time. Literally, constantly. Except for ever admitting that he was lying. Never. Never. Not once. <laughs> you know, he might be just the most, most the truthful most, person. Most honest. That's what I was thinking. Yes. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's why his, his platform is called Truth Social, which is where we're all going after Twitter collapses. LOL. Okay. So Brenda's father did, in fact, marry a 17-year-old cellmate of Brenda's after she was jailed. Great. What? Wait. No. Okay. Hang on. Wait a minute. <laughs> rom-com idea <laughs> right okay uh, so so okay so brenda is 16 she's probably tried as an adult because she did murders there's an she had a 17 year old cellmate her father in like a suit like i assume visitations is like who's your friend brenda and then they got married well her name is Sheila, and neither Sheila nor Wally will reveal how the union came to be. Bad. Here's what Dot, Brenda's mom, said. Sheila was her cellmate in juvenile hall. She was released to go to a halfway house, and she ran away from it. She went and got pregnant, and they had to get married or go to jail. She was younger than Brenda, and this is me now, and people at the time marveled at how much she looked like Brenda. So obviously this fueled speculation that maybe Wally was sexually abusing his daughter. You know how you know how Bob Geldof looks kind of fucked up and weary in the in the I don't like Mondays music video. He looks like he's seen some shit. Yeah, this is how I'm looking. Is that right how now, you feel right I'm, now? <laughs> I feel like Tom Brokaw with that like paper stuck to his head on the night <laughs> that he couldn't call Bush versus Gore. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, sure do. Um, so I just sent you a little clip that's not going to make it any less like that. I hate this. Thank you for ruining my entire life. <laughs> so Wallace, how did you come to, to marry one of Brenda's former cellmates? What happened there? Uh, I don't think I want to answer that question. <laughs> and are, are you still with her? No. But your daughter lives here? Yes. 
She did not want her daughter. Okay? Wait. Uh, that's the only statement I will make. Now, I don't know. That's Edge. <laughs> I also like this vlogger who's just like, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Sheila had a baby and then left it with Wally and peaced out. How much did Sheila look like Brenda? I don't know. But people did note that Sheila people looked like People said that right? she looked like Brenda. People said that. Some people said that. I ha- oh, man. <laughs> okay. So Brenda's most recent parole hearing was in August. Of this um, year? Yeah, but at this point, she told the parole board that she was agreeing to a three-year denial, which means she won't get another chance at parole until 2025. Um, according to the book A Nut with a Gun, Wally, her father, remains her only visitor. He makes the five-hour round trip to visit. He's on the, on the prowl for his new wife. <laughs> I hate that I laughed at that. Um, so every Saturday, he goes to see her. Uh, he said, I don't feel responsible for what she did. I still love her. She's my daughter, and I still see her every Saturday if I can. I can't explain why she did it. I don't know. I don't like Mondays. Yep. It's just a tragedy all around. Wild. Wild. And like, much like the song, right? The song sets us up for like, there are no answers. And just like the song, there's just been 43 years of no answers. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And so I was going to tell you a little bit about Bob Geldof exploiting tragedy uh, and his live aid bullshit but once i started going down that rabbit hole i found a lot of really good reporting from the time that came out of spin magazine and which was like canned by the other media that wasn't covering it at the time and then so i think that that should just be its own episode and so this is this is the beginning of our bob geldoff cinematic universe yes let's call this our post credits samuel jackson's showing up and saying bob we're not done with you yet. <laughs> Can you give us a little tease about what we're going to talk about with Bob Geldof next, in the next installment? I can. So as, well, I think we talked about it on the show. Geldof was part of the Do They Know It's Christmas thing. Yes, Band-Aid. Do They Know It's Christmas. We have talked about it with the We Are the World. We Are the World was a reaction to Do They Know It's Christmas. And I think we talked about it in a couple other episodes, too. So it started with that, and they were raising money for famine in Africa, and then they wanted to do more good deeds. So they set up Live Aid. Uh, That was Live Aid happened in 1985 and kind of started the snowball of this aid effort to Ethiopia. Well, and specifically, so there was civil war happening in Ethiopia, there was famine, and spoilers the money did a lot more harm than good geldof was warned repeatedly about this by from several relief agencies and he basically just like made a deal with the devil and the money that was funneling in was going to the ethiopian dictator and he was like using it against the people to buy weapons from russia and like bomb civilians and they were relocating people against their will, like genocidally. It was heinous. So you have that to look forward to <laughs> the next time we 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 reach Bob Geldof um, 
territory, which I think will be relatively soon, right? Yeah. A few uh, more pieces of shitty news about Bob Geldof is that um, in 2016, he settled out of court a lawsuit because he was sued by keyboardist Johnny Fingers because Fingers never got a writing credit for the song and says he co-wrote the song. For I Don't Like Mondays. For I, yeah. Um, so, and he says in that interview that Fingers was in the room with him when he found out about the shooting. But then he, if you notice, he says, I wrote the song. So right, right, right. Who knows what the truth is, but he, he gave Fingers a lot of money and a co-writing credit. Good. So that's the truth. Uh, since 1970, there have been more than 2,000 school shootings in the United States. 2021 saw an all-time high with over 250 incidents recorded, but then we outdid ourselves this year already. There are 180 school days per year, so this is more than one school shooting per day, per school day. It's so fucked up. So in October, it was recorded 257. And if you're wondering to yourself why you're not hearing this on the news, and it's it, it, the answer is because we don't, we cannot care about it anymore. There's just... It, it no well, longer there was gets UVA, UVA got on the news this what, last week, yeah. right? Is this the weekend? UVA last got weekend? on the news. But yeah. And, and, uh, but no, do, do, did all 257 get on the news? Bet your butt. No. no. Yeah. So uh, if, 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 it's a day, if it's a school day in America, you can, you can bet that someone's not liking Mondays somewhere. So Aviv, what are we going to go out on this week? We're going to go out on my introduction to not the song, but what the song is about, which is uh, from a West Wing episode called 20 Hours in America, which is the beginning of, I think, the fourth season of the West Wing. Um, and while I think that the West Wing is largely responsible for, for warping people's minds about like the idea of playing by the rules, this you know the writing is incredible it's a very talented person that i writing this that i happen to politically disagree with um and early in the episode they talk about the song and how it um is about a school uh, like a school shooting and when asked the the person says i don't like mondays and then later on in the two-part episode there is a school shooting i think it's a pipe bombing actually and the president president josiah bartlett makes a speech behind a choral version of i don't like mondays so that's what we're going to hear today where can people find us on the internet Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, send us a note at Lyrics for Lunch at Gmail. And if you want to support the show, you can go to lyricsforlunch.com and click on support the show. Give us a like and a rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. We're here every week. Yeah, tune in next week when we do this all over again. Depress you. <laughs> Hopefully we'll do something a little, a little nicer. Um, and... Until then, for until then, I'm a V. Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, don't fucking shoot up your school, please. Because Mondays suck, but not that, not that much. <laughs> ran into the fire. The streets of heaven are too crowded with angels tonight. There are students and our teachers and our parents and our friends. The streets of heaven are too crowded with angels. But every time we think we've measured our capacity to meet a challenge, we look up and we're reminded that that capacity may well be limitless. 
This is a time for American heroes. We will do what is hard. We will achieve what is great. This is a time for American heroes, and we reach for the stars. God bless their memory. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America.